Tune in in the afternoons this week during the getaway for your chance to call in and win. Lyle Lovett and his acoustic group are coming to Vermont. Win your tickets right here during the getaway on WDEV. Well, she's no lady, she's my It's time to get the story behind the story. Interviews with newsmakers, newsbreakers, and your phone calls. Radio Vermont presents The Mark Johnson Show. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for tuning in. A beautiful day today. What a beautiful weekend, too. Thanks for spending part of your morning with us. Coming up on the program in just a moment here, we're all going to uh, learn about how you should be running your organization. And let me give you a hint. It's not barking at people like, you know, it's just barking at John. Uh, also, later this hour, we're going to uh, head up the road to the University of Vermont. Our friend uh, Bill Averett is back giving historic tours at the University of Vermont. And it is rich with... Uh, it's a gold mine, in fact, of uh, historical uh, uh, namesakes and stops along the way on his historic tours. So that'll be coming your way in about uh, 25 minutes or so here. And we uh, would welcome your phone calls on the program. You can always reach us at 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. You can also reach us toll-free at 1-877-291-8255. Let's give a nice warm radio from Mount Welcome this morning to David Marquet. David is a Captain U.S. Navy retired. More importantly for our purposes, he is the author of Turn the Ship Around, How to Create Leadership at Every Level. David, thank you for joining us. How are you this morning? Good. Good morning, Mark. Uh, good morning, Vermont. Thanks for having me on the show. I know you probably are as sad as I am to have heard about the passing of uh, Dr. Steve Covey, who wrote the foreword for your book, one of the greatest business leaders of uh, of all time dying uh, earlier this month after a really tragic bicycle accident yeah yeah that that, that was sad um, I got to uh, you know something sometimes things in life just work out and um, I got to know uh, Stephen fairly well he came and spent a whole day with us on the submarine it was a magical day and uh, we were using some of his seven habits um, ideas in the way we ran the organization, and uh, he he liked what he saw, and he wrote about it more in in some of his subsequent writings. And um, so we stayed in touch. And then when when the officers on the submarine went on to other things and had success, and when the ship had success after he left, he was always very interested in how how the guys did. So um, that that was that sad, and uh, we're all going to miss him. You know, I noted that he wrote the foreword for your book in the spring of 2012, which must have been right before he had this bike accident. Yeah, in in, in retrospect, um, that you know the the timing uh, it was it was it was I I can't remember exactly, but it was just like a week or two after I got the foreword from him that I saw that he'd had that bike accident. So it was. Um, I'm just sorry he's not around now to see, um, you know, see the book out and see how it's doing and, um, you know, see seeing the message being spread. What did you, what was the most important message that you got from his Seven Habits book? 
Well, I just uh, start right at the beginning. Be proactive, uh, and we, you know, I passed the book out to all the officers and the chiefs that reported on the ship, uh, and we do these uh, we do these seven habits seminars, and and we and the idea was that every quarter we'd go through all of them, but we rarely got past number one, habit one, be proactive. So, for example. Uh, I learned that um, if you really want people to think and you want people to give their full creativity and, and passion, that you can't go around uh, taking control from them. You have to give them control. And so what we did on the ship was I stopped. As a captain, I just stopped giving orders. And it may seem a little counterintuitive, but what happens is uh, we, we uh, devised a mechanism where the officers would say, I intend to. So even for things where the captain was technically by Navy regs supposed to authorize uh, events like submerging the ship, uh, I wouldn't. The officers would just say, Captain, I intend to submerge the ship. And that expanded eventually to Captain, I intend to submerge the ship. And they provide the rationale for why it was the right thing to do and why it was safe. And as a result, uh, they started thinking at the next higher level. And this is one of the things that really struck Stephen when he, when he rode the ship, is all day long all these officers were coming up to me and saying, uh, Captain, I intend to submerge a ship, I intend to go ahead flank, I intend to enter port. And he looked at me toward the end of the day and said, I, I've never seen anything like this. How, how did you do this? They're like, well, uh, Dr. Covey, uh, you know, I read your book, and we just tried to, to live your habits. So... Um, uh, we had a good chuckle out of that, and, uh, you know, that was kind of the start of the friendship. We're talking with Captain David uh, Marquet. He was the captain of the USS Santa Fe, which is a nuclear submarine stationed off of uh, Hawaii. Tell me about the earlier part of your career. You began on the, uh, the, the ship, the Sunfish. What was that experience like? Was it the top-down structure that you now are, uh, have, have now literally turned around? Uh, you know, uh, that, that was interesting. I, it started out that way. I had uh, my first captain was, was very much like you'd sort of imagine uh, a submarine captain in the movies being um, barking orders. Gene Hackman? Uh, yeah, Gene Hackman, Russell Crowe, uh, one, one of those kind of guys. And so, uh, uh, but right toward the end of my tour, I got a new captain. His name was Mark Pelias. He later went on to, um, was promoted to Admiral. And I had this, this event where uh, we were operating the ship, and I looked through the periscope, and I could see a, um, a merchant ship off on the horizon. And I was sort of talking out loud with the sonar um, operator, saying, gee, wouldn't it be great if we could go active on sonar and get some training and see what this guy actually looks like on sonar? Now, in World War II, we'd go active on sonar, and you'd hear the ping, ping, ping. But nowadays, submarines almost never, ever, ever do that because it, it gives away your position. Uh, so going active is one of those things that requires the captain's permission. And uh, based on my experience with the previous captain, it was like, well, okay, well, that's, that's a nice idea, but that will obviously never happen. And the captain overheard this, and he came out and said, well, what, what are you doing? And I sort of told him the story. He said, well, why aren't you going active? And I, like, I was stunned. I, I don't know because I'm, I don't know. I said, well, just try this. Say... I intend to go active and see what happens. So I said that, and and so that was sort of the the genesis of the of the idea um, that things could be different. And I hope when readers look get, go through the book, they realize that none of these things that we did were really started with me. They were all little ideas that other people had. And 
we just sort of collected them up in a bag and uh, you know I, I let the crew basically execute them well, you say when you took over the Santa Fe that it was technically operationally and emotionally at an incredibly low point why was that uh, they had gotten they had gotten into a downward spiral and um, I was walking through the ship uh, I, I, I was assigned at the very last minute to go over to the Santa Fe. I was going to go to a different submarine, and so we only had a couple weeks, and I decided to spend that time just walking through the ship and sort of looking at people's eyes and, um, and assessing what was going on, focus on the people rather than reading all the, the technical reports. And I was walking through the engine room, and I um, saw a first-class petty officer, and this is a, this is a position of, of leadership in the Navy, and I asked him, uh, hey, what do you do? I kind of had these open-ended questions I would ask. And he said, and he sort of smirked when he said this. He said, I do whatever they tell me to do. And he was kind of being a jerk, but it was perfectly, brilliantly correct. And that really hit me. And the problem wasn't that they didn't have enough leadership. The problem was they had too much leadership, but they had the wrong kind. They were all being told what to do. They were afraid of making mistakes. They were in paralysis because the focus was on avoiding errors. And when you combine avoiding errors with a, with a uh, culture of compliance, the key thing was to do what you were told, not do the right thing. That's a dangerous combination when you're operating a nuclear-powered submarine at sea. But isn't there, isn't there an equal danger on the other end of this extreme where if you liberate people to do what they think is the right thing to do, I mean, you're talking about a nuclear submarine with big consequences. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but we're so far over on, on one side of the pendulum. What happens is uh, people say, I mean, with the movies we see uh, about operating the submarine, what we see are the 30 seconds of terror, the, the three minutes of the torpedo attack. We don't see the hours and hours and hours and hours of planning and hours and hours of foresight and the hours and hours of study that go into that. So we apply that, that leadership approach uh, to the whole time. Now, when I'm standing on the, on the ship and I say, hey, there's some sort of a crisis, and I'm on the con and I say, left full rudder, shoot tube two, uh, no one says, well, Captain, you know, I'm really not. I mean, at, at the moment, everyone understands that that's the way we need to operate the submarine. But th those are very rare instances. Mm -hmm. If you want to join us, you can at 244-1777, toll-free 1-877-291-8255. We're talking with Captain David Marquet. He's the author of Turn the Ship Around, How to Create Leadership at Every Level. All right, so when, uh, when did you see the light here? You, it sounds like it was, it was at some point during your service on the Sunfish, but then you must have honed it after that. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I had this germ. I sort of had the, someone had cracked the door open, and I could see the shine on the other side when I was on Sunfish. But uh, my next tour was the opposite. It was back to the do what you're told, and it was very dispiriting. Uh, and then when I got to the Santa Fe, I had a notion that I wanted to be the kind of leader that Mark Polyath was. Um, but when I got on the ship, a strange thing happened. I, was, I got wrapped up into this culture of compliance, and I started giving orders, and I, you know, prepare the ship for un to get under. I get under, submerge the ship, and we, we cleared the bridge, and we went below, and, we, and I would uh, 
And I just got wrapped up in this order-giving thing because it really feels good. As humans, we're programmed to want to take control and to climb to the top of the hierarchy. So then I had a startling, I made a mistake, and uh, I encouraged the officer of the deck to do something which made no sense on this particular ship, and he ordered it. And uh, that's the moment when I realized that this culture of compliance was going going to get us all in trouble and we gathered the officers and that's when we really started in earnest with these ideas of I'm of stopping giving orders from the captain crew taking initiative and uh, developing the mechanisms to make that happen yeah that's when you order the guy to go to two-thirds throttle or something and there's no ability to there's no setting for that so that, right yeah. right because I, I like I said, I was going to go to a different submarine. All my older submarines that I'd been on had this, and then uh, I made a mistake. It wasn't significant, but it, it, it opened my eyes to what could happen. Well, you've just touched, I think, on one of the problems why people are incapable of leading this way. It takes a certain amount of, of security or lack of insecurity on the part of leaders to, be liber- to feel liberated enough that they're going to get the respect from their workers and allow them to make decisions. So how do you, as a leader of an organization, liberate yourself from that insecurity? Yeah, that, that, is, the, um, that is the key question, uh, because what happens is you're sitting there, and in your head you, you can see something is starting to go not as good as it should. And in your mind, you know the right answer. You know what should happen. You know that at this point we should start turning the ship to the right or we should start investing money in a certain new project. You know the answer. And the question is, how long do you wait and do you let your people grapple with this problem until you step in and give them the answer? And uh, uh, I, we had a concept called above and below the waterline, and it harkens back to the days of, of wooden sailing ships. If you took a, a cannonball through the hull and it was above the waterline, it would cause damage but wouldn't sink the ship. It was the below the waterline hits that would sink the ship. So for things like starting up the nuclear reactor, uh, those were below the waterline. The last thing you want to hear as a captain of a nuclear submarine is, hey, we had a great idea how to start the reactor up this morning, Captain. Let's tell you how it went. What you want to do is understand what's above the waterline and give the crew or your team as much room to run there as possible. Mm -hmm. How do you figure out what's above and below the waterline? That's, uh, That's where your judgment and experience is. As, as the leader comes in. Okay, all right. I mean, I mean so for, for us, it was things like, um, uh, maybe one way to think about it is you're not going to change the laws of physics. So if your interface is with the laws of physics, like starting up the nuclear reactor or uh, submerging the ship and keeping the ocean outside, then there's not going to be a lot of, um, you're not going to be able to play with that much. But if there are things like how people interact with people, 
uh, or processes for how you get better uh, or how we decide who's going to stay and watch today, then on those people interfacing with people issues, I think there's a lot of room for latitude. One of the other problems that I've seen organizational leaders grapple with is that they try to do what you're talking about and give their employees more power to do things and then they're not done the way that organizational leader would do them themselves or want them to be done and then they they feel as though the next time they can't they, they should just do it themselves how do you how do you mentally get yourself around that one yeah i mean um uh, there's two pieces first giving the and i got in trouble with this Giving people control without the two other pieces of competence and clarity uh, just results in chaos. So when you give people more control, uh, they need to know what they're doing. That's the technical competence piece. And they also need to really be clear on what the organization is trying to accomplish. If you're running an organization where you just tell people what to do, then it really doesn't matter whether whatever it is the end state is. But when you give them decision-making authority, they're going to make decisions based on what they think we're trying to accomplish. So uh, that's, that's part of it. The other part is sometimes unexpected things happen. I remember standing on the con. We were, in a, we were doing an uh, inspection to, um, to be certified to deploy, and we had a guy who was really, really good at steering the torpedo. Once you shoot a torpedo, there's a wire that connected back to the submarine it pays out so the torpedo tells us what it's seeing and we can steer the torpedo in case it's not going in the right place uh and uh we shot the torpedo and i looked over and the and uh, smith his name was he wasn't there the chief had put him on leave and i, and I was freaking out and my arms were waving around i was standing on the con where's smith where's smith and the inspectors were writing all these notes and the chief said look you I put him on leave. You gave me the authority to put him on leave, and I put him on leave. It's going to be fine. I've, I'm responsible, and I've trained his replacement. So I kind of sulked away and went over in the corner, and he was right. It was perfect. It was great. We got a hit, and we got certified. We went on deployment. Hmm. The sulking captain. There's an image that people people <laughs> people don't want There's to see. There's a lot of that. Yeah. What, what do you do? We're talking with uh, Captain David Marquet, who's the author of Turn the Ship Around. What do you do if you work for an organization that is a command and control? How do you how do you gently bring this up without, say, you know, anonymously sending them your book? Right. Yeah. Um, here, here's the thing. Um, when when I I do an exercise with groups now where I I ask the executives to think of a decision that they made in the last week and think of one of their subordinates and to write down on a card why that subordinate could not make that decision. And when they do that, and then we look at the, all the answers, it typically piles into these two categories. Either, hey, they just don't technically understand what we're doing with underwriting bonds or fill in the blank, or B, they're technically competent, but they just don't get what we're trying to do here at, at whatever company. Well, you can attack both of those things. So what I would say to people um, who are working in that environment, uh, and first of all, it's very, very tough, and, and it's stultifying, and it's also bad for your health, uh, studies show. But I would say try and tackle those two things. 
uh, try and understand whether you're not getting more decision-making authority because your boss is worried about your competence or he's worried about your clarity. Now, if it just is the boss has some personality defect and is unable to, 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 to do that, then get another job. Really? That's kind of extreme. Well, <laughs> it's your life. You're going to go through life in a job that's... Uh, you, you have one, one life and one passion, and, and we as a race are not going to... We're not going to solve the problems that we have um, just executing some plan that some so-called experts at the top have figured out. We need everyone to give up all their passion. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me take a call from Essex. Bruce, good morning. You're on the air with Captain David Marquet. Good morning, Mark and Captain. Question for you. Um, years ago, I did some training with Peter Sange, who wrote the Fifth Discipline. He was at MIT Sloan School of Management. And one of the things he said was the characteristic of a really good leader was vulnerability. Vulnerability. Now, you're skipping a boat. If there's a major screw-up, you're promotion, you know, could be over. Your career could be over. So do you agree that a good leader uh, needs to show some vulnerability, that they don't know at all? Yeah, that, that's great, and I love Senge's work. Um, it was it was instrumental in shaping my ideas. A- absolutely right. Um, here, here's the deal with me. All I ever wanted to be was the captain of a submarine. Yeah. What, what were they going to do to me? I was the captain of a submarine. So I, I call it caring and not caring. You have to care deeply and passionately about your people and about what you're trying to do. In our case, it was service to the nation. And you care deeply about that. But you don't care about, about the bureaucratic consequences of doing things. And it was interesting because we were, I was breaking Navy regs with some of the authorities that I gave to the crew. They were specifically beyond what I was authorized to do by Navy regs. And my guys would say, Captain, if, if we have a collision or a grounding or a serious accident and they send an investigation team, you're sunk. And my response to that was, A, well, don't have a collision, grounding, and whatever. And, and uh, um, I can't remember what the other part was. But in any event, it didn't scare me. Yep. Well, good for you. I mean, you're, you're, you modeled that trait of, of vulnerability and not uh, being pretending that you were all-knowing, that somebody else may have had a better idea even w- well down the line. So I, I appreciate that. It sounds true to me, and aye, aye, sir. Thank you. Yeah, and hey, Mark, do I have, I have another three attachment on that. Yeah, sure. So I, on every other ship, we would give these officers, on every ship we give officer exams, and the captain always exempted himself. The, ca- the top guy in the organization never took the test. Uh, why? Because we can't risk, if, if, if authority is vested in you knowing everything, we can't risk revealing the fact that you actually don't know everything. Well, that was not the true. I took the test. I took these, every month we had a tactics exam. I always took it. I never got the highest score. Did that bother me? No. In fact, that's what I, I was happy to be surrounded by smart people. And, and let me tell you, I never got in a situation where I said, shoot tube two, and someone raised their hand. But, Captain, on the last tactics exam, I remember you only got an 87. <laughs> uh, I, I love the image of the sulking captain who's then now sunk on top of everything else. 
so if you if you run an organization, what are the first three steps you should take to try to unravel your own control problems? Um, okay, step one. Where are we now? I mean, how bad is it? Um, step two, start giving people a little bit of control in areas that it, it doesn't matter. Let them practice being in control. It's a dance because you have to give control and they have to take control. Now, I found that taking control wasn't a problem. People like that. But uh, So, for example, one of the very first things we did was the smoking area. This, they've, they've now banned smoking on submarines, but at the time you could smoke. Well, where do you smoke? Well, it really didn't matter. And so uh, when they came to me and said, Captain, where would you like the smoking area to be? I said, well, you guys pick. And it was sort of the first big eye, you know, experience. Um, but there was no way they could really mess that, mess that up. And then we just sort of uh, went to there. And once you do that, every other issue will become apparent. It will become apparent that you need to do more training, that you need to do more planning. This is much harder on management than just telling people what to do. Okay, it's but much harder on management. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, but so what? But one of the issues then will come up if you've got to do more training. That's going to cost more money. What if your organization doesn't have or like to spend money? Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's going to cost money. One of the questions. Uh, so, for example, uh, in the military, we like to do briefs, right? You've seen it in the movies. Gather around. You do this. You do this. You do that. Everyone ready? Everyone nods. We go off. Well, the problem with a brief is it's passive. Everyone is briefed by the briefer. It's only active for the briefer. And everyone, and the requirement is that they just show up. So we canceled all briefs. We said no more briefs. What we will do, we called it a certification. And at the certification, the junior guys tell the senior guys what they are going to do. So on submerging the ship, helmsman, what do you do? Well, on the second blast of the diving alarm, I push full dive on the bow planes. Etc. Well, once you realize that, and then the planning that's required is now we have to convey to the crew what's going to happen ahead of time, what their job will be. And, but what happens now is I would walk around the submarine, and guys would just be sitting there studying. It was amazing. The, they had put their Game Boys away, and they were reading books. Hmm. And on their own, it didn't cost any more money. This cost the U.S. taxpayer zero. Huh. It was just that we changed the way we interacted as people. Tell me a company or two in America that um, we should probably be investing in, but tell me a company or two in America that's actually doing it this way. Um, there's a company uh, I work with in um, Manhattan called Next Jump. They do software. Uh, it's run by a guy named Charlie Kim. And he really has it exactly right. Not only um, he lets the software designers pick what team they want to be on, he lets them pick what project they want to work on. Uh, he, he lets them decide when to ship the um, product to the customer. And it's an incredibly uh, vibrant uh, company and, and, and there's when you go into their spaces there's a buzz of activity and you can just sense that people are really engaged and giving their full mental uh energy at any time hmm. 
Let me take one more call here, then we'll let you uh, get back uh, underwater here. Uh, we go to Montpelier. Jerry, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Um, two qu- a couple questions. Uh, number one, and then I'll get off the phone to listen to your answers. Um, what does the government think? My father was a colonel in the Army, and uh, he actually christened the USS Montpelier, uh, which is a sub. Um, I don't know um, what the government would think about your ideas uh, as far as uh, delegating authority and, and, and whatnot. Um, I, I find it interesting, um, you know, I just find it interesting. Okay. Let me, I, I um, think it's a great idea. I think. Yeah, let me, let me have him comment. Thanks. Yeah, so if, if I went to my boss and I said, hey, here's what I'm going to do, I think he would have fired me right then. But two things. We, we were, I, I couldn't really explain what we were doing at the time because we were just trying things and, to see what works. And I can tell you what the government thinks. The government loves it because, not because they voted and, and, and wrote an article, but because the ship did very well and we, we uh, won awards. And they keep selecting the officers from the Santa Fe to go on and command their own submarines. And so at this point now, we have 10 officers who have either already commanded or are slated to command their own submarines from that one crew. That's a highly disproportionate um, number. So they, they like it, but I don't think they know they like it. Hmm. Do those, what do those people that were your subordinates say to you that they, what was the most important thing you think that they tell you that they learned from you? I think just to have the courage to let go and let your people trust trust that your people will come up with the right thing. Thank you for your time this morning. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. Captain David Marquet is the author of Turn the Ship Around, How to Create Leadership at Every Level. Obviously, lessons that you don't have to be running a nuclear submarine to uh, apply. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to take you uh, on a virtual historic tour of the University of Vermont. We're going to talk with uh, retired professor uh, Bill Averett. We'll do that right after these important announcements. When we say getting the chart.